Well, here it is another week. We are excited to be with you as we go inside EMS. I'm excited to be here. I know that my partner is excited to be here. And everyone, look, if you're watching us on EMS One video on YouTube, you can see him yourself. He looks excited or constipated. Kelly Grayson, KG, how are you? I'm I'm good. They're both the same look. Sometimes is I'm it the same? Look? Be constipated. Sometimes I'm so constipated it excites me. As this channel, you know, it's uh, it's tough that it's, but it's good that you have those feelings, right? It's good that you're yeah. able to ascertain either way. Me, I would just look confused. I would just look kind of uh, a little bit off putting. So how uh, how do we distinguish that from non constipated normal? Oh, I don't know, man. But uh, I think maybe you should be off putting. But um, pretty much look confused all the time, right? So I think so. So um, you know, Kelly, I think we got a really important topic to talk about today. I mean, you and I have spent a lot of time in our life as podcast hosts, ten years, six hundred shows, two million listens, talking about the need to ensure that we transition ourselves to take better care of our workforce, yeah. right? When we think about uh, the burnout, when we think about the depression, and when we think about the suicide, I mean, let's not gloss over what it really is. And it yeah. seems that a lot of people take the steps to get to that end of, you know, maybe smoking a little bit of weed or maybe taking, stealing some morphine or some fentanyl. And then they start to abuse drugs and now they've got to, or they're, abusing prescription whatever it is right i mean yeah. we know that this is the path and then eventually they get to a point of uh, they just can't take it anymore the pain is too much and they're trying to stop the pain and they take their own life and and you know our friends over there at the uh, code green campaign are very very uh you know they're very very resourceful and they have a lot of things that uh, if you're in this boat as we talk about it those are the people that you need to get in touch with right now. But yeah. we are joined by Willie Doan. Willie is a paramedic. He is the Academy Coordinator for Newcastle, Delaware. And Willie is a recovering alcoholic, Kelly. And he's going to take us down the path of, um, you know, how he got there and then how he got himself on the right road and what it, what it means. But um willie uh you know we'll give you the opportunity to kind of share your story but thanks for joining us here today yeah thank you guys it's a pleasure to be here i'm super excited to chat with you guys and um talk about some recovery stuff well of course it is i mean look who we are right i mean you've got to be impressed being here so I'm ignore just, I'm him just, willie it's just I'm just he goes you. off on his ego trips That's so okay. it's you know it's funny willie is that when we first started the show 10 years ago um there were only two people that listened, Kelly's mom and my mom, and both of them passed away. So really nobody was listening. So we're, we've gotten there. But anyway, so, you uh, know, my, so uh, go ahead. My mom's already, uh, she was asking me last night, you know, how can I listen? Can I listen in when you guys are doing it? I was like, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to Chris. I'll figure it out. So we'll have, yeah, you we'll, can't, we'll, the show will probably be, uh, usually what we do is we record a couple of weeks in a, in, uh, before. So mm -hmm. this show will probably be out a uh, week after next. So but we'll we'll keep we'll keep you posted. What's your mom's name? Let's say hello to her. Heather. All right, Heather. Yeah, Miss Heather. Hi, Heather. We're here. We're here with your son. Uh, Pop we'll popcorn. Sure. Have a watch party. We'll make we sure that uh, make sure he gets home safe. Okay, how about that? We gotta so, give uh, my stepmom some love too down in Texas. Hey, Katie. I'll do that, man. We're in Texas. Hey, Katie. 
They're right down near uh, Beaumont, Texas. Uh, when okay. I fly in, okay. I fly into Houston. It's about an hour and a half south okay. of there. Yeah. Okay. So um, we're friends, a lot of friends down there in Texas for us. But so anyway, Kelly, I'm uh, Willie. You kind of heard the setup, right? Yeah. So the setup was, um, you know, stress, uh, anxiety, uh, depression, you know, substance abuse. And then from there, where does it go? So I guess the first question I want to ask you is, how did you realize or what took you to the point of, of having an <laughs> alcohol problem uh, even before you realized that it was a problem? Um, I think I think for me, I think genetics play a big role in mine and the way at least the way that my brain is wired. Um, I started drinking at a fairly young age. I was 14 when I had my first drink. And um, I remember in high school, I always drank a little bit more than others. I'd be, you know, drinking straight Jack and people would think that's weird or, you know, drinking more beers than my other friends would be. And it kind of just steadily progressed. Um, I think whether, you know, being a first responder or um, any other job, I think I would have ended up in the same position and I would have been in, in some type of rehab or jail cell or worse. Yeah. Let me follow and, uh, up, Kelly, if you don't mind. Usually Kelly and I go back and forth, Willie, but um, I just want to follow up on what you said. So as you now entered EMS, right, and as you started to see the things that you would do and live the life of a paramedic, how did that compound the problem? Yeah, so I think it helped and it hurt. So even in the, the worst of my addiction, I still had a very strong sense of duty, Um so, you know, there would be sometimes guys where I'd schedule myself to work a couple weeks in a row and be like, hey, I need to get off the sauce. I need to, you know, be at work, you know, doing what I love. And I would use that as kind of like a, a, a band-aid, if you will, to, uh, to stay sober. Um, however, obviously, anybody who gets into this business, um, you're going to have bad calls. Um, and I would use EMS, whether it was a bad call, whether it was, you know, resuscitating, you know, successfully resuscitating somebody and then walking out of the hospital. Um, if whether it was good or bad, I would use that as an excuse. I deserve a drink. So um, I could definitely see how EMS may have um, expedited my um, my disease and, and getting me to where it became a problem and I couldn't function anymore and where I needed to go to rehab. Willie, was there was there a particular episode or or event or or even a memory where you can recall uh, when it became clear to you, wow, I've got a problem and I'm not in control of this anymore? Yeah, so that's funny. Um, when you're in it, you don't really think it's a problem. No, you um, don't. Not not with depression either. Yeah, yeah. So you, you don't really think it's a problem when you're in it. Um, I didn't realize. I didn't. I don't think I fully accepted that I was an alcoholic or that that I had a, an actual issue until I'd gotten to California and gotten to rehab and um, they had educated me about, and you can call it a disease, you can call it a condition, I don't really care, it is what it is, until they educated me about how, um, you know, your brain reacts to substance abuse. And it was probably a couple weeks in, I definitely agreed that I had a drinking problem. And, you know, by the time of the end of my time um, at Dedicado Treatment Center, I was telling them, you know, I was introducing myself as, hi, I'm Willie, I'm a recovering alcoholic. So, no, was, I didn't even think on the way out there, hmm. flying from Delaware. Was, was there a, was there an event that spurred you to go, go to rehab? How did, how did that come about? Yeah, so, um, 
it was almost two years ago now. We'll, we'll say about uh, 604 days to be exact. Um, it was my birthday. It was my 28th birthday. I had been on a couple day bender and I ended up uh, getting arrested that day for suspicion of DUI. Uh, I have no recollection of it. I still don't. I woke up in my parents' um, guest bedroom, probably about two or three in the morning. I got arrested sometime in the afternoon. Um, and it's, it wasn't my first DUI. I had another one six years before that. Um, mm. So I woke up. I walked downstairs. I woke my parents up. I asked them, you know, how I'd gotten there or what had happened. And my mom said that I had been arrested. And I was like, you know, you have no idea why you're arrested. Your mind starts going crazy, wondering what could have happened. And th thank God I was I was stopped at a red light and had fallen asleep. Um, I had been arrested for suspicion of DUI, and they'd picked me up from the troop and, and brought me home. Um, and I asked her straight up, I said, Mom, what's wrong with me? And she started crying, and she said, you're an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I asked her, I said, can you get, can you, can you help me? Um because it, in that, it was, you know, damage mode, you know, dam, yeah. damage prevention mode. How how can I keep my mom from not crying sad tears for me? You know, how can that's, I keep my family from not worrying about me? Yeah. And how can I keep my job? I love this job more than I love probably anything else. Yeah, that's going to be too. a huge blow, you know, for, yeah. for your mom to, to hit you with that. You know, I mean, that that would wake me the heck up. Well, somebody yeah. had to say it. Somebody had to say it too. Yeah, right? so, somebody had to. But it was probably but, tough for his mom to do that. Sure. Let me take a couple steps back with you, Willie. So obviously, you know, you talk about you were on a couple day bender. You had to be able. I mean, you probably were a functional alcoholic on the job as well. No. So, I, if I had to work a day work, I wouldn't drink before then. However, if I had to work a night work, like as long as I could have, you know. The, the rule was when I started, it was like, hey, you just need 10 hours before you need 10 hours before your shift. You got to stop drinking. So, um, you know, and, and like I said earlier in the podcast, I had that that huge sense of duty. Now, looking back, I'm sure that it negatively impacted me. It had to have, um, you know, I was reading something today. I was looking up, um, you know, heart rate variability. I just got a new a new watch to track a bunch of measurements Um and it was saying that drinking can affect your heart rate variability for up to five days. I'm sure it can, you know, I've read other things that, you know, you'll be dehydrated for 72 hours following a large drinking episode. So I'm sure that, yeah, I was some type of functioning alcoholic. So, well, and, and with that, though, I mean, you know, you talk about, and this is something I've never really understood and I didn't like. They talk about 10 hours before your shift, stop drinking. But man, depending on what you're doing before that ten hours, that may not be enough, man. Yeah, I'm, you know, I've and I, still and been drunk understood. after ten hours stopping drinking. I've never understood that <laughs> ten hour thing, you know, Willie. So, no. I agree. I agree with both of you guys. I I, I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, it's a very, um, I think it's a dangerous rule. It's a dangerous game to play. You got it. Yeah. You know, not only not only your life, but you know, more importantly, you know, your patients' lives, your partners' lives. It's a it's a risky game to play. Um, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to even, you know, sit here and talk to you guys about, you know, I was playing it. Willie, were there were there times at uh at work when you were, you know, in the middle of a call 
call or, or after a call thinking, you know, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm not my best. Uh, this is, this is affecting me. Uh, um, instances like that. I think there were definitely times where it was like, you know, I must not have gotten enough sleep last night or, or I must have a stomach bug. It was never out. It was never rationalizing. Yeah. 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 It was never alcohol. Um, you know, but looking back, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it always, you know, the majority of the times it was probably alcohol. Um, and, you know, I've still, you know, function as, you know, as a, as a paramedic, I, it, it's really sad and it's really um, also inspiring to think about because I never have to be in that position again. Um, I want my patients to get a hundred percent of me every time, you know, every single call, every patient. And, um, you know, that's what they deserve. That's what they're paying for. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. So we know that you, you know, had the incident, uh, your mom, you're an alcoholic and you help me. So you go out to California, you know, you start to do recovery. And I hear, I hear that that's not an easy thing to do because more or less you're going to go cold Turkey in the time frame that you're here. Can you tell us a little bit about your first day? What was that like for you? Now you're in a different state, you know, you're trying to get, you know, things, you know, the ship righted. I mean, what was the first day, first couple of days like out there? Yeah. So, um, since we're going from Delaware to California, um, we, uh, we had to stop in Arizona to get there. And I'd like to also mention that I didn't just, you know, randomly end up at Dedicato either. Could I talk about that for a second, Chris? Yeah, sure, sure. Go ahead. Um, so Newcastle County has a uh, partnership with Responder Health. Have you guys ever heard of them? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's pretty much a hotline for first responders. And we had called them and we talked to their CEO, Sean, uh, Sean Riley. He's, he's been at, you know, an angel. He, he's helped me so much throughout this entire process. Um, and he recommended Dedicato. They are very, um, they have a very close connection with first responders. Dr. Keith Marshall, who's out there, his father was a Philadelphia paramedic. His brother's a, a Philly, a Phil, sorry, Philly paramedic, no, firefighter. Um, and they um, have this, they also have a partnership with Responder Health. So that was what kind of, you know, why we chose to go to Dedicato. As I was saying, you have to fly to Arizona, pick up a flight, and then go to California. I got to Arizona, dude. I would say the majority of the times I've cried in my life have been happy moments. I don't cry very often. I was just crying, just very somber and sad. And, you know, I called a very good friend of mine and she was like, you know, you just got to do what you, you, you know, you said you were going to do it. You got to do it. Um, I got back on the plane. I read a book called um, Fearless about Adam Brown. Have you guys ever heard of that book? No, no. It was rant. I just picked up. I, I had a bunch of books in my house. Just picked that one up. And that was it ended up being about a Navy SEAL who struggled with addiction. Um, would, and I had no idea when I picked it up. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and I got to the uh, rehab. It was a very nice uh, residence uh, mansion near the Sierra Madre Mountains. It had a pool, had a chef that cooked lunch and dinner. It was kind of like, you know, it sounds like I'm describing a vacation. However, there was a lot of hard work. The first thing I remember from walking in there, um, you know, just kind of being scared. It's like you're going on your first day of school, uh, you know, your, your, your first day at a new job. And also I just heard yelling and I was like, oh, man, this is like one of those psych places that I pick patients up from all the time. Like, you know, this is one of those mental health, like, they just, you know, who am I going to be, you know, going through this um, education process with? And I, uh, I walked downstairs where the yelling's coming from. And it was, uh, I was another patient and, uh, he was yelling cause the Cowboys were doing poorly. 
is a big Cowboys <laughs> fan. And he was from, he's from Texas. He's a uh, first responder out in Texas. And I'm, you know, I was brainwashed as a child. I grew up as a Cowboys fan myself. Um, so we bonded over that. He uh, took me under his wing and uh, we ordered some, some hamburgers and we talked about life and we talked about, you know, the issues that alcohol had, had caused us. And he was just, uh, you know, he, he was there for me kind of like a, he was a couple years older than me and kind of took me yeah. and, and did the whole big brother thing. And I'll, I'll always be, you know, super grateful for him. Very awesome. The Cowboys put a beat down on the giants uh, yesterday. So let's go I, ahead and move along. Let's go ahead and move along <laughs> and uh, talk about something else. I well, I had I had one question now. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you a Giants fan? Let's move along. <laughs> anyway, um, I it was uh, I was I was going to ask, um, were there were you did you have any major physical withdrawal symptoms? Uh, you know, you mentioned you pretty much drank every day except for the days you had day shift. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, how was how was the physical? detox for yeah so just um a lot of nausea um my hands were very shaky uh and i and i would have episodes of getting pretty sweaty um that was pretty much it for me i i definitely wasn't comfortable for probably the first uh, after five days most of that stuff wore off um they were also giving me low doses of ativan to uh help you know That's help with those idea. symptoms and prevent any type of um you know seizure but yeah, the anxiety was through the roof, and I'm not generally somebody who um, has a lot of anxiety. I, I did just get arrested for the second time, though, and I'm, you know, two thousand something miles away from home. So, but it was still the chemical addiction that was, and you know, coming off that, which was really causing that challenge for you. But, you know, yeah. so you you now get into this this process of recovery, and it's about is it a month, five weeks? How long is it? So I stayed there for a month, and. Um, it was, it was hard work. I'd wake up at four 30 so I could have some time to myself. I would do some, they had a, they had a notebook about this big. So it was the three inch binder for those of you who are just listening in. Um, and I, and I went through two of those and it was all recovery stuff, recovery relapse plans. Um, I wrote an autobiography to try and figure out, you know, where these problems may have started and, you know, what we could do to, to help me. Um, and, and I would, I would work on that till about eight 30, we would have a small group. Then at um, nine o'clock, we'd have a nine, nine thirty, we'd have a two hour group break for lunch, get some PT in the garage in, have another two hour group in the afternoon and then an AA or NA meeting at seven o'clock that night. And in between there, there were one on one sessions. That's what a normal day was. And it was set to be, I believe, 28 days, Chris. Um, And I got to the 28th day and I told Dr. Marshall, I'm like, yo, brother, like, I'm really scared to go home. Sure. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm ready to go home. This has been an issue. You know, I've been drinking for the past 14 years. I've only been here for like 28 days. I I don't think we've done enough work. I don't think I've put in enough work. I, it scares me to think about myself being in a, you know, being out in California, they have, you know, alcohol in the grocery stores or being out at a restaurant by myself or something like that. So, um, we're, he was like, it's funny that you mentioned that, um, because we're offering you a scholarship for all your hard work. You were giving you a, a second month here for free. All we ask is that you help out around the house a little bit, which I was already doing, and, you nice. know? Um, so I ended up staying there for a total of 60 days. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Around so, the 45 days, I started getting a little bit antsy being like, I think 45 was a good one for me. I'd, <laughs> I'd always, you know, that alcoholic part of my mind, I'd always rather overdo it. <laughs> 
So we so, did 60. Question for you. Um, do you feel now that you're in recovery? Uh, do you feel like your your attitude and your perception of, of addiction and alcoholism in your patients has shifted? Do you do you approach them with a with a new eye? Uh, maybe um, more so than you had in the past. So I think it definitely buys me some street credit with them. If yeah. I can, you know, pull out my 18 month token and be like, hey, you know, I I might not know the exact, you know, situation. We might not yeah. have gone through the same exact situation. However, it's like my buddy Jerry says, he says, we felt the similar emotions. Um, so I think yeah. it buys me some some capital with them. And I think, um, you know, usually, you know, maybe there's ones that would, didn't want to go to the hospital. I might end up getting them to go to the hospital and utilizing some of the resources that we have at the hospital um, to get them back on that track to recovery that day. Um, I think I always, I always looked at them as, um, you know, how I looked at, I knew, I think deep down, I knew I had an issue and I've had family yeah. members who had struggled with addiction in the, in the past too. Um, so I, I don't think it changed the way of like how much I wanted to help them. I've always wanted to help anybody with an, with an addiction or really anybody with any type of illness. Um, but I think it definitely did buy me some credit with them and some capital. Very cool. So let me give you this, Willie. I'm going to give you a, a very important responsibility here that, you know, there are people out there who maybe not know that they're depressed and have a substance issue or have a, uh, you know, alcohol or, or a drug issue. And coming from the side of your expertise and the experience that got you to where you are, uh, Kelly and I, we want to turn over the mic to you and we want you really to kind of talk yeah. to those people. And, you know, inspire them to look in the mirror or whatever it is that you probably know the words better than me yeah. and uh, give them a little bit of uh, inspiration. Yeah, guys. So um, I was one of those guys who I, I remember having this conversation with my buddy at, at the local bar Grotto's, the local pizza joint in Delaware. Um, we were drinking some cold, cold, uh, tall Miller Lights and just pretty much we had a lot of issues we were talking about. And we we're like, we're never going to stop drinking. Um, and that was my attitude. I loved drinking, um, big party guy. Um, and I never saw my, I, I would have never dreamed that I would be sitting in this chair talking to, to Chris and Kelly about sobriety and recovery. Um, I promise you that life is better this way. The first few months of recovery, I was living in fear um, that I didn't want to go back to my old ways. You know, now I live in, in, and excitement, enthusiasm for each day. Um, and it, it's not that I, I don't look back as much. Um, I look forward to this day, treating this day correctly. I look forward to treating tomorrow correctly. Um, and just really getting out of life, everything that is, you know, owed to us and that's owed to me. Um, it took me a little bit to buy in. I didn't start feeling physically better, probably like really better until probably the seven, eight month mark. And that's when I bought in and I said, Hey, this isn't going to be as big of a, it's always going to be a struggle for the rest of my life, but it's not going to be as big of a struggle. I enjoy my life now. I have joy now. I have hope now. Um, I, don't, I don't think I told Chris or Kelly, I, I've been diagnosed with um, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Um, I definitely, you know, definitely think that I have some pretty bad days with depression every once in a while. When I was drinking, they were all the time. I felt depressed yeah. on a daily basis. 
I would say I, I have a dep depression day or a day where I just get hard time getting out of bed, maybe once every two to three months now. That's crazy. It used to be every day. It's once every two months. I, I don't feel anxiety. I take action towards the things that I felt anxiety about in the past. And um, I haven't had any type of, you know, um, episodes that, that could be considered any type of PTSD episodes um, since I've stopped. I've had one since I've stopped drinking. Um, so I think my life is exponentially better now than it was before. Um, and it, it, it just keeps getting better. Well, I've, I've got one to tag on before we transition to talking about the uh, the academy. Um, Chris mentioned, you know, he gave you the mic to, to inspire your, your fellow EMTs and, and people who may be struggling with addiction. And you mentioned that in, in rehab, you wrote an autobiography. Yeah. Ever thought about getting it published? Um, I haven't opened it up. It's, it's, I'm, it's still kind of scary to even read, but yeah, that, that would be something, you know, maybe adding the perspective on, um, from, you know, my perspective now, even I know it's not too much farther. Um, that's a voice that other EMTs and, and other people in general who, who are struggling with addiction probably need to hear. And, um, uh, Chris and I could probably steer you down the path toward, uh, self-publishing a book and maybe getting that uh spreading that message to more than just our podcast listeners i, I would yeah. i would love that opportunity and then the other thing that you've got to think about you know and we're going to transition to talk about your academy and you know pimp that a little bit for you so we can get you some students over there but one of the other things that you have to be able to think about uh, on the road of being an instructor is uh, becoming a motivational speaker about it as well and um, one of the things that I tell my coaching clients all the time is you have a gift. You have a gift that if you don't share with others, you do them a disservice. And yeah. I believe that, right? Because we all have something special that we've developed throughout our careers that have allowed us to um, become who we are, right? And uh, you've got that as well. So, but uh, let's go ahead and transition. So, hey, I'm, hey you know, Chris, Chris and Kelly, I had a couple thoughts real quick. Sure. Um, yeah. off, off of what you guys were saying um as i was giving you guys that little hit of hope um and that little bit of joy you know that life does get better when you get sober um last year was the one of the the worst the worst year of my life in terms of people that i lost who i care about i got home from rehab in march um so over a year and a half ago ish, I got, I got home from uh, rehab in March and in April, one of my best friends who I just gone on vacation with, who was also an EMS overdosed on heroin and passed away. Mm. Um, five, no, four months later, four or five months later, my best friend's dad, who I grew up with, uh, I had two best friends, Costa and Aaron. I grew up with them since we were kids. He called me up one morning and said his dad was bleeding um, from his mouth and, and needed some, uh, needed some assistance. So I went over there and I carried him out of the house and un unfortunately he was like another father to me as well. Um, he had esophageal varices and he mm. passed away in the ICU that month. And then this March, um, one of my best friends who grew up with Aaron Costa and I and a bunch of other people, um, he's a, uh, Marine and also a Philadelphia police officer, uh, took his own life. So, uh, this stuff's very serious to me, and it's a. I just yeah. lost three of my closest friends this past year and a half um, to this stuff. So, um, 
it's very serious. It can take you out. Um, and you guys just heard me five minutes ago, probably less than five minutes, say how much joy and happiness it's brought to my life, even given all that loss. I think that's profound. So I just wanted to, to get that out there. Um, I'm in the no matter what club. So no matter what, I don't pick up. Yeah. And it's been working for me. Good. Very cool. Good. That's great. And that's uh, really awesome. And uh, unfortunately, now you've taken your academy time away. That's okay. The, no, I'm just stop teasing you, Willie. So hit us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there at Newcastle and, uh, you know, one of the premier EMS systems in the United States and uh, a little bit about the work you're doing in the academy. Yeah, so I'm the academy coordinator. Um, I'm up here with, uh, I have a sergeant who is the overall um, supervisor of the academy on a daily basis. But anyhow, Every year, we started this back in 2014. I was in, I was actually in our first academy that we did this way. Um, we recruit any, any, and we call it the, the zero to hero. Are you guys familiar with that term? Yes. Um, so you, th there's no pre, pre qualifications needed besides you need a, you know, a driver's license and a diploma. Um, we do extensive background process. There is a, a uh, physical fitness test and an acuplacer test. Um, and there's oral yeah. boards and then we pick from there and we generally have anywhere from, I would say 16 to 22 ish um, students that we put through medic school each year. We pay you to go to medic school, you get benefits, your pension starts, um, your uniforms are paid for all your books, all your books are paid for. Um, it's your job for you know around 13 months or so to go to school and focus on becoming a paramedic and we provide you any resources that we can. Um, before this started, before we started our Zoom, I was actually, I'd stayed after, I'm still at the academy, I'd stayed after to work um, with some of our students on EKGs. Um, we run it paramilitary. So there is a, uh, there is like the uh, uniforms, our boots are shined. Uh, initially we have the shirts military pressed. Um, and, um, we start out the first three months or so our BLS and it's Monday through Friday. You get nationally registered as an EMT and then we transition into the ALS program. And during the ALS program, we are in class Monday, Wednesdays and Friday. And they are out um, on some type of clinical, whether it's in the local ERs or um, you know, riding with our field training officers in Newcastle County on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So last, uh, last year we had, I believe it was eight, I wasn't a part of last year's academy. Um, we had, um, 18, well, you had things going on. Yeah. I had a couple of things <laughs> going on. I, yeah. What a privilege and opportunity even to be in this position in the Academy. I, I, I'm just extremely grateful. Um, but last year we had 18 people who started our, our program and all 18 are nationally registered paramedics. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's great to see, you know, uh, agencies investing in their people and, 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 taking the steps necessary to, to make sure that paramedic school is as, as uh, stress-free and, and um, you know, not a burden uh, on people going through, uh, going through their training. That's what we're trying to build up here in, in St. Lawrence County. Same, same sort of thing. Uh, we're going to try to do it in a little, little quicker, but same sort of thing. And, and congratulations to you guys. And, and uh, I applaud your efforts. Thank you, Kelly. I'd love to talk to you more about it sometime. Oh man, come pick my brain anytime or, or come listen to me cry on your shoulder as I think about <laughs> co-amps. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
So Kelly, let's go ahead and give us the uh, standard closing as we move along to next week. That's right. Well, look, guys, we you've you've heard uh, you've heard Willie's story. Uh, I urge you all, if if you're suffering from addiction, um, take a page from his book. Uh, it's not weakness uh, to admit you have a problem. Uh, it's strength reaching out and saying I have a problem and taking the steps necessary to deal with it. And and uh, I hope you're inspired by Willie's story as much as Chris and I were. And we hope to talk to you guys next week. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And if you have ideas for future shows, or if you'd like to share your story, email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Cavallaro and Willie Dome, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Catch y'all next week.